1: Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, you are be having a chat about the Gregorian calendar. This is the calendar that essentially the entire world uses for day-to-day civil purposes as opposed to religious ones. Um, as this episode is, of course, coming out on New Year's Day, 2023, Happy New Year. I thought that, seeing as you know, we're all swapping over to new calendars, now is a great time to talk about why we actually use the calendar that we do. I mean, the next time that an episode of half ass History uh, will come out on New Year's Day will be in uh, in 2034, so it is... Well, it's not. I guess not now or never, but it is. You know, we'd have to wait until episode eight hundred and ten to get across it. I guess. You anyway, know, initially when I started my researches for this uh, for this episode, I planned. You know, a fun little tour of the history of calendars throughout human history. You know, a look at all the different types of calendars: the Babylonian, the Chinese, the Islamic calendars. Uh, countries like Nepal that still use their own calendars even today. Um, but then I began this general research on calendars, and oh my goodness me! Bloody hell, you would not believe how complicated the history of something as seemingly simple as a calendar is. And despite the fact that this is the new year, I don't feel any different, and this is still half our history after all, so I decided to take a slightly different tack and assign myself a, slight, a slightly less colossal task to complete, and so instead we're going to focus uh, on the most widely used calendar in today's society, the Gregorian calendar. We'll have a chat about some others, but they're... There are just so many of them, and it would be impossible to try to get across all of them. And, and look, that's also, I mean, when we just talk about the Gregorian calendar, that's not to say it's not going to be all that much simpler. I have spent hours and hours trying to get my head around the absurd and ridiculous and incomprehensible history and workings of the Gregorian calendar uh, from its origins as the Roman calendar, its evol- evolution as the Julian calendar, uh, and then obviously its final form today as the Gregorian calendar. There is so much going on. With the history of these cal- calendars, people would haphazardly slap extra days or even extra months into them as they went, or they would slash days or weeks from from the calendar, depending on how they felt. And so this led to all sorts of ridiculously convoluted confusion about what day it was or what month, or, or even honestly, what year it was in some instances. Um, so just just for some examples of some ridiculous situations that have emerged because of the way that we've treated the and, and, and used and developed calendars over the years. Um, when William III of England set sail from the Netherlands on the 11th of November, 1688, he arrived in England on the 5th of November, 1688, six days before he had left because of... Discrepancies in various calendar systems that were in place in Europe at the time or the fact that uh, 46 BCE the year that Julius Caesar instituted the Julian reforms uh, this year was 445 days long what the bloody hell was going on there or um, if you cross the border between England and Scotland in January February or most of March but not all of it um, between the years 1155 and 1752 the date would skip ahead not a day or a week or a month. But a year, uh, or if you believe it, the how, how the fifth of October in 1582 just didn't exist in Catholic Europe. Nor did the sixth or the seventh or the eighth, eighth right through to the fourteenth. These days were just obliterated. They were they never took place, and you know all of this has happened hundreds of years ago. You might think no, it's not all that long ago that this confusion was still around. Have you heard of the October Revolution of 1917? Barely a hundred years ago, this was part of the the Russian Revolution. You know. This event, the October Revolution, took place entirely in November. So all that and so much more on this week's episode of Half-Ass History, even with this reduced scope, even with just looking at the Gregorian calendar, this is going to be one of the more complicated episodes, the perfect way to start your new year. Uh, Before we begin, uh, I want to say thank you to a couple of alert listeners who have requested this topic, Bowden Smith, Scott Russell, cheers to the both of you, I think... We, I guess we'll see how I feel at the end of it all. This one, this one was a lot more work than you might have thought. Anyway, let's get underway here. Let's start 2023 off together with the complete and total befuddlement that the absurd history of the Gregorian calendar will bring us. Here we go. We're going all the way back here. We're going all the way back to the days of prehistory. This is before paper. This is before writing. This is before sexy firefighter calendars. None of that is around. Way, way back in the Neolithic period, that is to say over 10,000 years ago, people were still making calendars. Although, again, not the sort of thing that you'd, you know, hang on your wall, no pictures of topless firemen cuddling kittens on them. No, back then, ancient humans built huge structures. They dragged enormous great big stones about and arranged them very carefully and then used these stones to keep track of the passage of time. Now, immediately, you're thinking of Stonehenge, of course, and there is a lot of controversy and debate about that site in particular, as well as many others. We are not getting into it. Um, But it does seem like these megalithic calendars, these big rocks arranged in certain ways, it seems that they aided humans in keeping track of the course of a year. And you might think, well, how? So to answer that question, let's zoom out a long, long way here and talk about, even on just a conceptual level, what a calendar is trying to do. This is very important. This is something that we need to get across in order to understand why designing a calendar has been such a an absurdly complex task over so many, so many thousands of years. So what is a calendar trying to do, essentially, is the question here. A calendar at its most basic, it's the most basic function of a calendar is to tell you how long a year is and to keep track of the days, or not just even in the days, but keep track of the span of a year, right, to tell you when a year ends and begins. So you might think, well, that's pretty simple. Let's just pick a number of days. Obviously, you know, sun goes up, sun comes down. Can't explain that, but we can count it at least. And we can just pick a number, say that many days is a year, and then why don't we pick a nice nice round divisible number, something like uh, 360, You know, that's divisible by a bunch of different numbers. Uh, Call that a year, divide it up evenly into smaller units, call them, you know, months, weeks, we've got days already, and we're done with it. That's great. Why why all the confusion? Well, the solar system, it turns out, I mean, as wonderful as the solar system is, uh, it is also enormously uncooperative uh, when it comes to nice, neat numbers, like, for example, 360. The sun, mighty soul, our celestial overlord, for all the things that the sun has given us, it has not given us a nice and neat orbital period. Uh, the obviously, as you probably know, the the orbital period of the Earth around the Sun is roughly 365 and a quarter days. And the key word there is roughly, as we will uh, as we will talk about in great detail later on. So you go, okay, sure, no worries, whatever. Let's just use 360 anyway. That's fine. It's close enough. No worries. It's only five days off. Doesn't really matter that much, does it? And you go, well, sure, okay sure, let's do that. Let's call a year 360 days. That way it can be divided up evenly. We don't have to remember which months have extra days or whatever else. Nice and neat. But the problem is, right, the first year, no worries. The first of January is in summer, like it should be. Happy New Year, everyone. Down the beach, bit of cricket in the sun. Beautiful. That's how New Year should be, of course. But then the next year, your calendar with its 360-day year is five and a quarter days off from the solar year. And you might think, well, that's not a problem. Don't worry about it. It's only five days. No, five and a bit days doesn't matter that much. We're still in summer after all. Well, sure, for now. But given enough time, and as those five and a quarter days all add up year after year after year, the 1st of January will eventually, in about three decades or so, be in the middle of winter. And can you imagine anything more unnatural than celebrating New Year's Eve in the cold? It is inconceivable. So no, measuring the passage of time on this scale in order to keep days and weeks and months and years in sync with the solar year, with the seasons that, that, it, that our orbit around the sun uh, causes, we need a calendar system that ticks over every, again, roughly 365 and a quarter days. But why? Why do we need it? You might be asking, who cares? Who cares what the orbital period of the Earth is? Let I me mean, leave that for the bloody bean counters and the nerds. Let's just make a calendar that makes sense and we can have some, some, some order and some unity and some neatness to it. Who cares about the bloody orbit of the sun around the Earth? Well, let me tell you, measuring the length of a year accurately is essential and has been ever since we started doing things like farming. Agriculture depends on on an accurate knowledge of the time of the year in order to know when to plant or to harvest crops. Knowing that you needed to, for instance, plant a certain crop a certain number of days after an equinox or a solstice or something like that was essential to the development of agricultural techniques, essential, therefore, to the development of human civilization. And there are so many other reasons, so many other benefits that come from knowing what time of the year it was without, you know, sticking your head out of the front door of your mud brick hut to see if it was snowing or not. Anyway, to bring it back to these uh, ancient megalithic calendars, right? These aren't calendars in the sense that we think of them. They're not, you know, they're not documents with with dates and numbers and words. And very simple reason for that: there are no dates or numbers or words. These things haven't been invented yet. Um, they probably did have firefighters at this stage. You know, fire was a real threat back then. Don't know how sexy ancient firefighters were. Uh, that, you know, I'll leave that to other historians to other historians to make a judgment on. But these calendars even without numbers, words, dates, anything like that, they still did tell people how long a year was. They still were able to measure things like, for instance, solstices. If you carefully line up some rocks so that the sun shines between them on their, for instance, summer solstice and then just watch and wait in 365 and a bit days, the sun will shine between them again in exactly the same position in exactly the same way. And in this fashion, you can keep track of the passage of a year very accurately to the day. But of course, the year is a very large and unwieldy unit of time. And if you want a unit of time that is a little, uh, a little brisker, something that's going to be, you know, you're going to be able to measure a little more regularly, you can instead, I mean, forget about the sun, you can instead use the moon. You can use the moon to mark time again, very accurately indeed. You don't need to drag rocks about, just look up into the sky and see how close it is to being full. Brilliant. Except, once again, the moon is just as unhelpful with orbital periods as the sun. While a solar year is just over 365 days, we've talked about a lunar year is just over 354, split up into 12 cycles of 29 and a half days each. So while you get, again, roughly 12 lunar cycles in a solar year, they still don't add up nice and neatly and we still need to wrestle these numbers into submission. So using universal and immutable temporal coordinates that are given to us by the sun and by the moon, we have to figure out a way to make our calendars fit these these natural aspects of the solar system things that we can quite literally set our watches to because we can't you know force orbital periods of celestial bodies to fall into line with the nice neat numbers it'd be much easier to coordinate a calendar around maybe in the in the future who knows maybe we strap a bunch of jet engines onto one side of the earth and put them on full blast maybe we can slow the orbit down to 360 days instead wait no would we need to speed it up To go to 360? See, these are the big questions that mathematologists around the world are still trying to crack. In the meantime, we're stuck with roughly 365 and a quarter days. So we better just get used to it. And that is essentially exactly what humans have done for centuries, for millennia. And once we jump forward a few thousand years into early antiquity, we can talk about the ways in which ancient civilizations attempted to come up with calendar systems in order to make them work with the absolutely immutable properties of the solar and the lunar cycles. So the ancient Sumerians, for example, they devised a calendar that split a year into 12 months, 29 or 30 days each to match the lunar month of 29 and a half days. So on average, a month was 29 and a half days long. Um, and, but then obviously they had to make up the days uh, that were left over from the from the, the lunar year in order to match it up to the solar year. And so they just added an extra month every couple of years, which is obviously a ridiculous, what a stupid solution, right? What a foolish and unwieldy system. How dumb the ancient Sumerians were, unable to figure out a better system than to just haphazardly slap in an extra month or so every now and again. Except that's exactly what we do now today with leap years. In all those thousands of years, we still haven't found a better solution than to just add time into calendars when we need it in order to keep things in sync. This is a process called intercalation, and we will do it again next year. 2024 is a leap year. Anyway, Ancient Sumerians, they were followed by the Babylonians and the Persians, uh, with 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 more ancient calendars. the The Persian calendar was uh, it was in fact three hundred and sixty days long. The Persians loved the number three hundred and sixty. That's why even today, uh, a circle has three hundred and sixty degrees. But then, obviously, there's still a shortfall in terms of the days in a year. And so, the Persians did exactly what the the ancient Sumerians did every couple of years, every six years or so. They'd bung in an extra month there, and they'd keep their calendar in sync with the sun. So. You can see that even thousands of years ago, ancient civilizations had, a, they had quite a heightened understanding of astronomy and both solar and lunar cycles, and they came up with the best solutions that they could uh, to work within a, a difficult system full of uncooperative numbers. We do. We, we we need to move on to the Roman calendar because this was the this was the real precursor to the Gregorian one, as, as I've mentioned already. But before we get there, I, I do want to take a second to mention some other major calendar systems. We're not going to go into too much detail with them, but I think it, it's worth talking about them at least. Um, many of which, of course, are, are still in use today. These alternative calendars that uh, that many people use for traditional or for religious purposes, for instance, very famously. The Chinese, Chinese New Year, still around today. People still celebrate it in all parts of the world, of course. And um, way, way, way back when the Chinese used solar calendars until the what I'm realising is now the very confusingly named spring and autumn period, nothing to do with the actual seasons involved in the calendar. Um, uh, in about 770 BCE, however, they transitioned to a hybrid of lunar and solar uh, calendars, which is, of course, known as a lunisolar calendar. Um, And as I say, even today, the traditional Chinese calendar, still around, still lunisolar. Uh, It's the one that's used to calculate the date of the Chinese New Year. Uh, That's why it's on a different date each year uh, when compared to the Gregorian one, because it has a different set of cycles. Uh, There's also the Hindu calendar uh, from the subcontinent. Hindu scholars made extremely accurate estimates of the length of the solar year, uh, although (laughs) unfortunately, they weren't so accurate with their modeling of the solar system, which was all geocentric and not heliocentric. Uh, But the Hindu calendar has also evolved to incorporate lunar aspects into it as well. Um, They also insert full months to make up for discrepancies rather than just days like the Gregorian calendar does, but Hindu calendar is still around. Um, And you might have heard of the very famous calendars used in Mesoamerica, most famously, of course, uh, by the Maya. The Maya long count was supposed to predict the end of the world over a decade ago. We are still waiting on, on Quetzalcoatl to unhinge his jaws and, and swallow us all uh but the maya they incorporated the solar calendar into their date keeping system and uh, even today some people in the guatemalan highlands they still use the old maya maya calendars uh, and then of course there's the hebrew calendar still used to calculate the dates of jewish religious festivals um the hebrew calendar adds an extra month Seven times every 19 years, so very straightforward indeed. Uh, And the Islamic calendar, again, used to calculate Islamic religious festivals. Uh, However, interestingly, uh, with the Islamic calendars, there are no extra months or days or anything added in as the Islamic prophet Muhammad specifically banned intercalation. I don't know what his problem with, was with it. Maybe he, you know, just didn't want to have to ha- deal with the hassle of leap days, but he banned it. And so there's no intercalation uh, in the is- Islamic calendar, which means that it is just wild in terms of its uh, its relationship with the, with the solar year. Anyway, countless other calendar systems. We can't talk about all of them today. Um, as I say, initially, I thought it would be nice to give a bit of an overview of all the major calendar systems throughout history, but even with you know, a tiny bit of cursory research that actually seems like the sort of thing that could be its own podcast. There are just so many. So we instead will move on and we will zoom in on the calendar in widespread use for civil and secular purposes today, which is, of course, the Gregorian calendar. And we'll talk about how we got here. And to do that, we go back to the Roman Republic, which in the grand tradition of the Romans, they had nicked their basic calendar from the Greeks, just like they nicked more or less everything else. Originally, Uh, the Romans used a predominantly lunar calendar. There were 12 months in it, some of which had 29 days, others of which had 30. This meant that on average, of course, the months were 29 and a half days long. They were in sync with the moon, but not the sun, of course. And so like the other calendars we've talked about, an extra month would be added every second year to make up the difference. But when we start talking about some of the attributes of this calendar, you'll notice some of them very familiar. For example, the months. Their names, very familiar to you, Januarius, uh, Februarius, Martius, Aprilus, and so on. The first six were named after Roman gods and festivals, uh, Janus, February, Mars, etc. But uh, month seven and onwards were not named after gods or festivals, they were named after numbers, and as you probably already know, they were named after the wrong numbers. Uh, what we today call July used to be Quintilus, the fifth month, even though it is the seventh month of the year. August was Sextilus, the sixth month, even though it is the eighth month. September, seventh month, even though it is the ninth, and and, and so on and so forth, all the way through to December being the 12th, even though December means the 10th. So what's going on there? Why are all these names incorrect? Well, look, there is a level of, a huge amount of uncertainty, I should say, uh, surrounding all of this. Uh, But there may have been an even earlier Roman calendar um, attributed to Romulus, the city's founder. And apparently this calendar only had 10 months. It started in March and when it got to December, which of course, if you start in March, skipping January and February, December is the 10th month. Uh, when it got to December after around uh, 300 days or so, it just stopped for the winter. It just stopped and they didn't keep track of those days, didn't organize those days into months at all until March came around again and then the calendar kicked off once again. Um or there's another theory. Alternatively, there was no intercalation at all and this 10-month ten month year was just wildly off in terms of the seasons being only 300 days long. I don't know. There are a lot of very interesting and very long arguments about it all online. Um, and one of the arguments about it, I should mention, is over whether this 10-month calendar even existed in the first place, which is far from certain. The best piece of evidence for it exi- existing is the fact that we call the 12th month of the year, December, and not, I don't know, 12-ember or whatever, um, it may very well be that this 10-month calendar just didn't exist. I don't know. But what I do know is this. At some point during the Roman Republic, the Romans began to use a calendar with 12 months on a four-year cycle. Uh, year one had 355 days, uh, and again, followed the lunar cycles, Year two had 377 days to catch up a bit. And then we had 355 again, back to the lunar cycle. And then the fourth year of the cycle had 378. So we went 355, 377, 355, 378. These months all had either 29 or 31 days each, except February, which had 28 or 23 when it was shortened to make room for the intercalary month, which happened every other year that was either twenty-seven or twenty-eight days long. Uh, also, I should mention these intercalary. I'm just giving you averages because these intercalary months weren't standard; it, just an average. They were chopped and changed all the time. They were lengthened or shortened, or they were left out altogether. Confusing as hell, you'll agree. Um, but there, there was another element to this, and one which I actually kind of explains why it was so confusing. Roman politicians were often appointed to a position for a period of One year, meaning that some had more time in power than others, up to a month more time. And uh, what's worse, when they were in power, they could further change the calendar to either extend their time in office by manipulating the way that days and months were measured in order to suit their own purposes, or they could shorten calendars to disadvantage their political rivals. Was a rival politician in a powerful position? Have it so the intercalary month was skipped or or shortened, which obviously reduced the length of their tenure. Was your mate in power? Well, have an extra long intercalary month. Keep him there for longer. So an absolute schmuzzle, a dog's breakfast. I mean, quite aside from all the political nonsense, this calendar also did a very bad job of its job, which is to say staying aligned with the sun and the seasons. So along comes a bloke you've heard of, almost certainly. Here he is, old mate from episode 205. You know him, you probably don't love him after what we learned about him back then. It's Julius Caesar, everyone. The Julian calendar, the month of July, all named after Julius Caesar, uh, who came to power at a point when the old Roman calendar was causing problem after problem they have been skipping into calorie months. The calendar is way out of whack, months ahead of where it should be in terms of the solar year. And old mate Jules, he wants to get things back into sync. And so he goes around once he's in power and he's chatting with astronomers and mathematicians, this bloke, uh, Sosigenes. uh, and And he's getting them all together. He's saying, listen, I need a new calendar. I want a new system. And I want this one to actually, you know, work. And so before long, People like Sosigenes. This bloke, Sosigenes of Alexandria, broadly considered to be one of the main authors, if not the you know the, the principal guy behind the Julian calendar. He put a proposal in front of Caesar. Caesar goes, "I love it. Let's get it done." This system that Cisigenes, uh proposed vastly simplified the existing calendar. Uh, it was designed to ch- uh, it was designed to stay in sync with the solar calendar as much as possible without the need for intercalation, very, very minimal intercalation. And it is a calendar system with which you will be very familiar. 12 months, which either have 30 or 31 days, again, except February, 28. And every four years, February gets an extra day. And when you think about the mathematics of it, it's actually quite simple. As I said before, the solar year, roughly, and we will, I promise you, we will come back to this word, roughly. I know I've said it a lot. It is roughly 365 and a quarter days, and so that quarter of a day can be added up over four years and put into February 29. February 29 essentially is the quarter day from the year that it appears in, and then the other three quarter days left over from the, the three preceding years. So, perfect. This, this I mean, this solves the problem, doesn't it? We've got years that are roughly 365 and a quarter days long, and if you average out the length of a year with a system that goes 365, 365, 365, 366, the average length of a year across that four-year cycle 365 and a quarter days. Perfect. Except, of course, it's not perfect because a year is not 365 and a quarter days long. It, but we will get there. We'll, don't worry. That's coming up. We'll get there. So the old Roman calendar... That had had 355 days, so to bring it up to 365, the Julian calendar snuck 10 days on the end of some existing months, one here, two there, whatever else, Uh, and in this this way it lengthened the the regular or the the common year, and then every fourth year an extra day was added into February, known as the Bissextile Day, Um, and well, here's what's really interesting about the Bissextile Day in, in Roman times, it wasn't actually an extra day from a legal standpoint uh, which is going to get a bit confusing but bear with me here it wasn't it its own day sort of from an, as i say a legal or an administrative standpoint instead this leap day today obviously a leap day is february 29 it's its own day but back then the the bissextile day was added to an existing day So you still had 365 days each year. It's just that one of those days was two days long. I mean, to put it less confusingly, one of those days every four years was 48 hours long. So you'd go to bed that day in February and you would wake up the next morning and it wouldn't be the next morning. It would be the same day on the calendar, twice as long as usual. I mean, I hope that makes sense to you. I mean, look, not a bad system if you're born on that day. Fantastic. Double birthday every four years brilliant. I mean your birthday's forty eight hours long, you're loving life. But now, of course, we have a different system and and this seems to have emerged organically, um, and at very different points, depending on where you were and what version of the Julian calendar you used. Eventually the bissextile Day was done away with and evolved to become a leap day the 29th of february we're all familiar with how the system works these days um but we don't know too much about how it was actually adopted it seems to have been picked up by different people at different times we're not really super sure about it but one thing you can be sure of is that it is a much worse birthday situation uh for those born on a leap day rather than you know a, a bissextile day instead of double birthday every four years you get one birthday every four years so not a, not an ideal situation for them anyway anyway the Julian calendar, ready to go. As I say, Julius Caesar made an edict uh, that from what we now call, of course, the year 45 BCE, it would go into effect. Um, and I mentioned before that the Roman calendar was way, way out of whack, uh, a few months because they hadn't been putting in the, the intercalary months properly. Um, and so in order to fix this and bring the calendar back in sync with the solar year before, you know, the, the this brand new Julian calendar kicked off... They added all the missing days in one go in 46 BCE, the year before 45 BCE, of course. They added three months to 46 BCE, meaning that it is, and I mean, this sounds weird, but it is the longest year on record, 445 days. Um, Obviously, you know, I read about this and various places and I was as I was looking up the different calendar systems that we've used and the ins and outs of the Julian calendar but there was no part of my research that tickled me more than reading about the reading about the system on wikipedia uh, which offered a a very amusing piece of clarification when it comes to the fact that they added you know three months to to the year 46 BCE um uh, the wikipedia page says the actual planetary orbit year remained the same I mean, thanks, Wikipedia. Here I was thinking the Earth slowed its orbit. They did, they did the old jet engine trick just for old mate, old mate Jules so he could fix up his little calendar. Yeah, no, that, I, I assumed that was the case. I assumed that the planetary orbit year did ultimately remain the same. But thanks for pointing it out. Anyway.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: 1st of January, 45 BCE, Julian calendar brought into effect, and broadly speaking, it was immensely successful. It made a lot more sense than the older system. It required very little maintenance in terms of intercalation. Uh, And it was on a very simple four-year cycle that was easy enough to remember and calculate. Of course, it's weird and annoying that some months have 30 days, others have 31. One of them has 28 or 29. But look, it's it's fine when we compare it to the old system with 355-day years and 377-day years, except when it's 378 and sometimes February has, you know, 23 days or whatever. It's it's a lot better than this system. And, and it works very well in terms of lining up, roughly, with the solar year. And so as a result of the simplicity and the elegance of this new calendar – The Julian system spread very quickly. The Roman Republic became the Roman Empire, and Roman influence spread further and further, and more and more people adopted the Julian calendar until it was the preeminent calendar throughout the entire Mediterranean world. In the wake of Julius Caesar and his successor Augustus Caesar, two of the months of the calendar were renamed in their honor. Quintilius became Iulius, and Sextilus became Augustus, and today we call them July and August. And uh, following the, the collapse of the Western Roman Empire, the calendar also benefited from the rise of Christianity. Early Christians used the Julian calendar as their liturgical calendar, uh, the way to calculate when Christian festivals fell. And uh, as Christianity continued to spread after, as I said, after, after the fall of the Western Roman Empire, so too did its Julian calendar. But the Julian calendar was not perfect. It, I mean, it was pretty close. It It did a pretty good job, true. Uh, it did a very good job of keeping calendar years aligned with solar years, but not a perfect job. And that brings us, at last, to the Gregorian calendar and all of the talk about a solar year being roughly 365 and a quarter days. Because it is not 365 and a quarter days long. It, to be more specific, it is... Slightly less than that. It is actually 365.2422 days long. 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes and 46 seconds. So not quite 365.25, which of course would be 365 days and, and 6 hours. And you're thinking at this point, all right, mate, okay, you nerd. Just, I mean, it's fine. It's 11 minutes and 14 seconds difference. It's not that big a deal. And I, to that, I would say, firstly, well, if if you can calculate that it's 11 minutes and 14 seconds in your head that quickly, I would say that you are the nerd, not me, mate. Uh, and secondly, it actually really does add up. Even though it's a very small amount of time, just 11, 11 and a quarter minutes. Well, I shouldn't. I shouldn't say 11 and a quarter, 11 minutes and 14 seconds. It does add up. It means that every 128 years, the Julian calendar actually gains an extra day, as all of those 11 minutes and 14 seconds pile up on top of one another and aren't accounted for, even with a leap day, which brings the yearly average across four years to 365.25 days, not 365.2422. Doesn't sound like much. And it's not, and honestly, Julius Caesar and Cicigenes and whoever else did a very good job with the Julian calendar. But it means that by the time we get to the late 16th century and a bloke whose name was Pope Gregory 13th, the bloke for whom the whole Gregorian calendar is named, the Julian calendar is 10 days off. So you might think here, well, that's very forward thinking of a pope, I mean, concerning himself with scientific accuracy rather than, you know, sticking to the Catholic Church's core competencies of hoarding power and wealth while finding new and exciting ways to cover up sex abuse scandals. But no, the reason that Pope Gregory was so keen to change the calendar and make it more accurate wasn't to do with scientific accuracy. It was because, if you'll believe it, he was worried because Catholics weren't celebrating Easter on the right day. I mean, whatever. It, in this situation, I'll take it. It got us a more accurate calendar system. I'm not going to question his reasoning too hard here. I'm not going to come down too hard on this one. It got us a better calendar, so we'll let it go. Easter is calculated as being on the first Sunday after the first full moon on or after the 21st of March, one of the equinoxes, uh, and you can imagine How much of a disaster it would be if the wrong weekend was calculated? I mean, the Easter bunny, he'd be running about making a fool of himself, delivering eggs people weren't expecting. It'd be a nightmare. So this calculation requires accurate information from both the solar and the lunar cycles. And throughout Christendom, people knew that Easter was drifting away from the correct date because of the inaccuracies within the Julian. Well, I say people knew this. People didn't really. Priests and clerics and scholars did. Other people at this time didn't really care. They were more concerned with, I don't know, making sure they had enough food to eat and that they didn't die of the plague. But all the same, calendar reform had been on the agenda for quite a while. But it was, it was, to give him credit, Pope Gregory Thirteenth who made it happen. In the 1570s, he consulted with mathematicians and astronomers, just as Julius Caesar had done. Uh, and he, he did this in order to come up with a new system, a better system, a more accurate system. The crux of the issue was this, too many leap days. The Julian calendar was falling behind the solar year. And so the solution was to cut leap days, right, in order to bring it back into sync with the the solar year. But which leap days and how often? I mean, one of the benefits of the Julian calendar is that it is pretty straightforward. Uh, It's it's pretty simple to remember. It's a four-year cycle, right? Right and the new calendar that that pope gregory wanted to put into place in order to bring it as as close as possible in terms of accuracy to the uh, uh, to the solar year it needed to shave get this it needed to shave 0.0075 days off of each year in order to bring things back into sync now of course impossible you can't just slice 0.0075 days off a year and be done with it. No, that's not what Pope Gregory was hoping to do. He wanted to set up a new cycle of years with a new average. We talked about the fact before that the average Julian year, even though it went 365, 365, 365, 366, the average of all of those years is 365.25. And that was good enough for a long time until it wasn't any anymore. And now we're here with Pope Gregory who wanted the average year length to be as close to 365.2422 as possible. And this meant he got in touch with all these mathematicians, all these astronomers, these nerds, they knuckle under, they write hundreds and hundreds of pages in proposals and justifications or whatever else, and ultimately, a proposal from the astronomers Aloysius Lilius and Christopher Clavius was taken, was tweaked a bit, and it was put into place. And this proposal was Mm. Well, look, it wasn't wasn't simple necessarily, but it was about as simple as you can make it under the circumstances. Under the Julian calendar, every century, there are 25 leap years. This makes sense. One every four years, 100 years in a century, divided by four, 25 leap years. But in order to get to this magic number of 365.242 average days in a year, you need to cut slightly less than one of those 25 leap years that, that takes place every century. You need not 25 leap years every century, but of course, 24.22. So it's never easy, is it? I mean, it's it's never simple and straightforward. So the solution, in order to get as close to this number, 24.22 leap years per century, the solution was to cut a leap year every 100 years, except every 400 years. Now, this might sound very confusing, and that is because it is very confusing, but it left us with the rule that we still use today for calculating leap years, as uh, quite concisely stated here by the United States Naval Observatory. Every year that is exactly divisible by four is a leap year, except for years that are exactly divisible by 100, but these centurial years are leap years if they are exactly divisible by 400. So, in other words, to make it simple, the years 1700, 1800, and 1900 are not leap years because they're divisible by 100. But the year 2000 is a leap year because it is divisible by 400. And this brings us to 97 leap years every 400 years And if you divide 97 by 400, you get 0.2425. Add that to the 365 other days in the year. And it means that the average year length in a 400-year cycle of the Gregorian calendar is 365.2425 days. And considering the goal is 365.2422, we are... 0.003 days off the average and that's look it's it's fine all right it's close enough we will make it work honestly look the system's pretty good it 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 works pretty well it maintained the relative simplicity of the julian system with the the leap year every four years Uh, we just have to remember to not include the leap year every 100 years and then we have to remember to not not include it every 400 years And, and and this system has worked i mean case in point You might remember, I mean, I certainly do, the year 2000, a centurial year that did have a February 29. It did have a leap day because it was a centurial year divisible by 400. The year 1900 didn't have a leap day, but the year 2000 did. So, look, we're not doing too badly. We have stuck to the system. We've remembered. We've managed to maintain the system so far, so good, right? Not too bad. But even with this new system all drafted up and ready to go, Pope Gregory wasn't out of the woods just yet because. As I mentioned before, the calendar's out of whack. There are 10 days between the Julian calendar and this new Gregorian calendar that's about to be introduced. So people had to figure out what the solution to this problem was. What, what about the 10 days that the Julian calendar had lost? Now, some suggested to just skip the next 10 leap days, uh, and then put the new system in place after that. So that would have taken 40 years, obviously. In four decades' time, they could have fully introduced the Gregorian calendar after having a bunch of years that were just 365 days long. Others, however, suggested to just do all the 10 days in one go, and old Greg decided to go with that plan instead. And so in 1582, when the new calendar was announced, that year, Thursday, the 4th of October, was followed by Friday, The 15th of October, 10 days wiped from existence. If Matt Damon had been born 400 years earlier, he wouldn't have had a 12th birthday. Sorry, Matty. I mean, take it up with the Pope, mate. Although, actually, no, that's not quite true. He probably would have had a 12th birthday because, as far as I know, he was not a Catholic. And uh, this new Gregorian calendar only applied to the Catholic Church, to begin with at least. The Pope, as powerful as he was, he could only force the Church itself to adopt the new calendar. Secular civil governments had to make up their own minds about adopting it. So let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the adoption of the Gregorian calendar and how it grew to become the calendar that, broadly speaking, we all use today. As you can imagine, predominantly Catholic nations were very quick- to uh, take up the new calendar most notably philip ii of spain uh, who at the time also ruled over portugal and a lot of italy he enthusiastically took to the new calendar i mean his birthday's in may so he's got nothing to worry about plenty of presents for him but uh, ultimately catholic spain portugal france poland lithuania italy they're all on board in 1582 as well as the catholic uh, Catholic uh, netherlands uh, and all of their colonies followed suit most notably of course the spanish colonies in the America. However primarily Protestant areas like Scandinavia and the northern parts of the German-speaking world, they took their time. Norway and Denmark didn't change over until 1700, for instance. Uh, Sweden, incidentally, planned to join its Scandinavian neighbours in 1700, but they were going to do it slightly differently. Instead of going for the system where all the days were skipped in one go, they decided instead to uh, skip them one at a time uh, over a series of years. They were just going to skip leap years for however long it took for them to get back in sync um and i mean all the other countries just skipped forward like they did in 1582 but sweden decided to go at it gradually and this meant that it failed spectacularly not only would this plan um make the difference between the swedish and the gregorian and the julian calendar be different every year right or every four years i should say as the as the leap year after leap year was skipped um They also forgot to skip some leap days. So eventually it was just such a big mess that the Swedes decided to give up altogether and revert back to the Julian calendar. They didn't go ahead with skipping all the days and go to the Gregorian calendar until years later, right? They went back to the Julian calendar, except now they were out of sync with both the new Gregorian calendar and the old Julian calendar. And so in 1712, to get back into whack... They had in Sweden what I think is history's first and only February 30th. It wasn't until 1753 that they finally skipped the by now 11 days needed to catch up to the Gregorian calendar. They skipped from the 17th of February to the 1st of March that year. And finally, Sweden was on board with uh, with the rest of Scandinavia. And it was, quite, it was a similar story in Great Britain as well. Uh, although they had uh, an extra wrinkle there, uh, a different wrinkle, which we'll come to. Great Britain was quite slow on the uptake when it comes to uh, adopting the Gregorian calendar. Um, uh, It and what were at the time its colonial possessions, namely the colonies that would go on to become the United States. They stuck with the Julian calendar until 1752 when they switched over by, once again, deleting 11 days from the calendar. They went straight from the 2nd to the 14th of September in 1752. But... It gets more confusing than this because nations have done this thing where they've skipped the the days, they've adopted the Gregorian calendar and that's been that they've moved on. Great Britain made a, a different, another change to their calendar in 1752 and this one was as confusing as it was hilarious. In all of Britain, except Scotland, the new year didn't begin on the 1st of January. It began on the 25th of March... Of all days. So I don't know what's going on there. The 24th is New Year's Eve. You wake up on the morning of the 25th nursing your hangover and that's when you switch to a new calendar. That's when the the, the year number ticks over. And so you're thinking, I mean, what the bloody hell? You know, since since the Roman times, we've been using the 1st of January as, as, the, as the New Year. That's what the Romans did. Why, why is it all different now in Britain? Well, I'll tell you this. The British weren't alone. People adopted the counting system of the Julian and the Gregorian calendars. That's fine. But they didn't all adopt the same date as its beginning. While the Romans might have used the 1st of January as their new year, depending on what part of Europe you lived in in the years that followed, you might have had New Year's Day on the 1st of March or the 25th of March or whenever Easter happened that year or the 29th of August or the 1st of September or the 23rd of September, sometimes even on Christmas on the 25th of December. Most major European nations ultimately settled on the 1st of January, a while before the Gregorian calendar came into effect, including Scotland, Um, but not England, Ireland, and Wales. No, not since it was changed from the 1st of January to the 25th of March in 1155. So that meant that in England, in Ireland, in Wales, the 24th of March 1700 was followed by the 25th of March 1701. And as I mentioned in the intro, this meant that if you stepped across the border between Scotland and England between the 1st of January and the 24th of March, between the years 1155 and, and 1752, you had to change your watch by a whole year. And you might think this is stupid. You might think, well, this is it's super dumb. Why Why the 25th of March? But I mean, a counterpoint to that is why the 1st of January? I mean, is that any less stupid? It's just a day. We give it a special number on the calendar, but ultimately, it's still just a day. Anyway, for the most part, it didn't affect day-to-day life for most people in Britain. Again, not in Scotland. Um, uh, The the 31st of December 1700 was followed by the 1st of January 1700, and then the new year would tick over a few months later. But finally, in 1752, Great Britain and its colonies, but not Scotland, uh, they were already there. They caught up with everyone else when the date of the new year was moved to the 1st of January, right, to bring them, broadly speaking, in line with most other European nations. However, this had some very interesting effects. For for instance, if you go back to episode 221, Charles I, get across it, he got his head chopped off on the 30th of January, 1649, right, that's what I told you then. Except that that wasn't the date at all, because back then it was the 30th of January 1648, and that's how it was recorded by people at the time. And to make it even more confusing, over in much of the European continent, the date wasn't even the 30th of January, it was the 9th of February, because England hadn't moved to the Gregorian calendar yet. So depending on who you ask, Charles I got his head lopped off on the 30th of January, 1648, the 30th of January, 1649, or the 9th of February, 1649. So very confusing. You can imagine the executioner. He would have had an absolute nightmare trying to keep his uh, his, his schedule in order. And uh, this discrepancy with dates is, again, the reason, as I said before, why William III arrived before he left when sailing from the Netherlands back in 1688. Anyway, after 1752... The New Year date change, uh, it was a, it was applied retroactively, so you do have to be very careful when looking at the dates of things that happen in Great Britain, except Scotland, uh, between the 1st of January and the 24th of March between the years of 1155 and 1752. So easy to remember, uh, because depending on when the date was written and by whom the date was written, it might be different to what you think it should be or what it shouldn't be and oh no I've gone cross-eyed so now I'm just I'm, I'm realizing just now that a bunch of the dates that I've spouted off in former episodes might just be completely wrong which um which you might think would would stress me out but actually no it is the complete opposite because I've just realized it is a get out of jail free card oh yeah mate oh did I get the date wrong in an old episode Ah, oh, must be a calendar thing yeah that'd be it oh that's the only possible explanation for me making a mistake anyway Rather obviously, obviously the, the Gregorian calendar, it, it spread further and further as time went on in, in usage and popularity, which reflects the global dominance of Europe throughout the, the modern period. It spread into Eastern Europe at a, at a varied pace. Uh, many Orthodox nations stuck with the Julian calendar, and Orthodox Christians still use a revised version of the Julian calendar to calculate when their festivals will take place, even today. Um, it took a long, long time for some Eastern European nations to finally adopt the Gregorian calendar for civil purposes. Uh, Russia, as I mentioned, they had their October Revolution at a time that the Gregorian calendar actually considered to be November. Um, and the fact that the Russians clung to the Julian calendar for so long uh, bit them in the ass in, in more ways than just that. Uh, in 1908, their Olympic shooting team turned up 12 days late to the event because they were using the Julian calendar to calculate when they should arrive while the organizers in London were obviously using the Gregorian calendar. But ultimately, Russia switched over in the wake of the revolution. That was that. Um, But but the Gregorian calendar spread outside of Europe, obviously. As I I mentioned before, it it was brought to Americas by colonial powers like Spain and Britain. Um, Major Asian nations like Japan and Korea and China, they abandoned their traditional lunar solar calendars for uh, official purposes at least, around the turn of the 20th century, uh, they brought their official calendars in line with the one used by the people who, who dominated global affairs at the time, the Europeans. Uh, but as we talked about before, these traditional lunisolar calendars still stick around for traditional purposes, like the Chinese New Year celebrations, that sort of thing. And similarly, the Islamic calendar was sidelined over the years by various Muslim nations who adopted the Gregorian calendar to bring themselves in line with uh, increasingly international standards. But still, some Islamic nations very much drag their feet with it. The best example of this is Saudi Arabia, who didn't officially adopt the Gregorian calendar until 2016. And in doing so, they, they docked the pay of public servants by 11 days. As those days evaporated from the calendar, the yearly salaries of Saudi Arabian public servants slashed as the uh, as the nation skipped ahead to join uh, the rest of the world on the Gregorian calendar. Well, I say the rest of the world. There are actually a handful of nations that even today haven't officially adopted the Gregorian calendar. Iran and Afghanistan still use the Persian Solar Hijri calendar. The Ethiopians have got their own calendar, where it's, it's actually currently 2015 over there. Uh, while Nepal has two different official calendars, and neither of them are the Gregorian. But... Broadly speaking, we are all on the same page when it comes to dates these days. And like so many other global systems and processes and standards, the Gregorian calendar is a European creation that was promulgated, for better or for worse, throughout the rest of the world. And look, to be honest, it's a good system. It's not great. There are stupid things like 30 and 31 day months, 28 day months. Uh, Not to mention leap years every four years, except when blah, 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 blah. But look, it's fine. It'll do. For now, at least. Because, oh yes, the Gregorian calendar is not as future-proof as you might think. Just like the Julian calendar proved inaccurate over the centuries, so too will the Gregorian calendar, given enough time. Remember, That before, I said a solar year lasts 365.2422 days long. And once you average it out over 400 years, a Gregorian calendar year is 365.2425 days long. Well, thanks to that discrepancy, even today we are already out of sync by a whole 26 seconds it's a it's a pretty good it's a pretty accurate system but by the time we get to the year 4909 we will be so far out of sync with the true solar calendar that we'll have to cut a day Maybe we can skip the leap day in 4908 and maybe we can revisit the history of the calendar in that week's episode of half Ass History. So be sure to tune in when we follow up on the history of the calendar Sunday, the 26th of February, 4908, episode 150,776. Get across it. Well, that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is, well, no, it's not even close to all she wrote today, sports fans. The history of the calendar, there is so much stuff that I wasn't able to talk about. I mean, this episode is so long and I I, I feel like i barely scratched the surface. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find a way to come back to this. There was so much other stuff I wanted to talk about, other calendar systems, the days of the week, all this other stuff that that I just couldn't find room for in this already very, very long podcast. So a fascinating topic and I want to thank uh, I want to thank the blokes who, who sent it in as a suggestion. Bowden Smith, Scott Russell. good on the both of you. I mean, look, it was long, it was complicated. it was it was baffling at, at some points, but we got through it. we learned something and uh, and, and so cheers very much for getting in touch and, and, and sending in this as a, as a suggestion. And if you want to do the same thing as these two fellows, you certainly can. Head over to halfassetry There's a contact form you'll find there in addition to links to all the old episodes. Um, I want to give you a quick update on the situation uh, with the, the disruptions that we've had to some of these episodes. Things should be fixed. If they're not, let me know. I'm I'm, I'm working behind the scenes to make sure it's all uh, it's all chip shape. In, in the, the fail case is this. Head to the website, download the episodes there uh, directly because they're going to be there. But as far as I know, it looks like it's been fixed. There might be some wrinkles I have to iron out. Um, and uh, into this year, I'm looking for new solutions to make sure that this doesn't happen again. So that's the plan. Uh, I'm trying to scale the, the show's infrastructure more sustainably. We'll see how it goes. Uh, and if you want to support the show as it scales and uh, as more and more people come in and listen, I'd certainly appreciate it if you, uh, if you jump over to the Patreon, have a look at some of the, the rewards you can get there at different tiers. You can get things like uncut episodes. You can get show notes. You can get uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, in addition to exclusive merch. But if you don't want to subscribe to a, a long-term uh, Patreon commitment or anything, you can jump over to the merch shop and support the show by grabbing yourself some swag from there. Uh, it, it certainly is wonderful to see people uh, supporting the show financially through merch, through Patreon, and uh, I just want to say that it is all so very, very appreciated. I'm looking forward to another excellent year of uh, of growth, of, of of people tuning in, new and old alike, and, of course, all sorts of dumb, silly historical nonsense from around the world, from throughout history. So thanks so much for being here. I, I hope that this year is is uh, an excellent one for you. I hope that it is filled with health and happiness. And I'm looking forward to being a small part of your 2023 each week as you join us to get across whatever's going on with Half-House History. Until next week, of course, leaving you now with a question posed on Reddit. We've talked about the Gregorian calendar at length and Lamps Looking at You from Reddit has a question about the Gregorian calendar and it's a very good one indeed. Lamps Looking at You asks, using the Gregorian calendar, is it possible to determine the next time that Halloween will fall on a Friday the 13th?